But then they have created this environment in which farm murders are thriving. They deny the existence of farm murders, like in the 2018 United Nations General Assembly, when uh, President Ramaphosa said that there's no such a thing as farm murders in South Africa. And I was there. I heard him saying it. And I dare to say that I think I had more interviews immediately after that in New York than he had. Um, he, he should have done much more to at least show goodwill from government side by ensuring the implementation of our national rural safety strategy, by creating a special unit in the police um, to, to take care of our murders. Hello, my name is Donald and welcome to the number one media company, Worldview. At Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. Today, we're going to have a nice little chat with Dr. Tio de Jager about the state of farming in South Africa and the general supply of food. Tio is part of many agricultural businesses, one of which is, of course, the Southern African Agri Initiative, SAI, where he is an executive director. Tio, Welcome. I look forward to this chat. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me to your platform. Tio, um, let's just jump right into it. How worried should South Africans be about food inflation in South Africa? You know, South Africa has not been in a food security crisis since the Second World War. Uh, we, we have forever actually been a a food secure country and the only one in Africa. Um, of course, over the last three, four decades, also Namibia and uh, to a lesser extent, Botswana have reached that status. Um, and uh, we, we were the only ones in Africa who could maintain that status even through the toughest years. We have been a net exporter of food ever since the Second World War. Um, but, but that is not guaranteed. Simply because the, the, the definition for food security has changed so much over the last few decades. Food security no longer means that any country produces everything it consumes. It, it, it now means that the country produces more of that in which it has a competitive advantage so that it can exchange from the food basket that in which it does not have a competitive advantage. Um, and, and, and trade plays a more and more important role these days in food security. Now, it's also not up to farmers to maintain food security, it's up to the whole value chain. For example, if there is no fertilizer, if there is no seeds available, if there is no financing or crop insurance available, it can also plunge you in a food security situation. And this is where the ice has gone thin under our feet. Um, South African farmers are still by far the most competitive farmers on our continent. And we do still compete against the best other farmers in the world, especially when it comes to the competition for shelf space in shops in Europe, in the USA and Asia. Our problem is that we ran into all kinds of trouble with 
agricultural financing. Land bank has come through the floor, leaving some 34% of all farmers in dire straits. Um, we, we have an issue with the price of inputs in South Africa. We, we never saw, um, the, even considered the possibility of the price of fertilizers to go up this high. Um, and the same goes for the price of diesel, the price of spare parts for, for, for machines. And if we have concerns about food security, it is because of this input side of agriculture where the costs are simply running away and does not correspond with the price which farmers get for the produce um, once it, it reaches the markets. And is there a scenario, for example, okay, it's, it, you paint a very dire picture. Is there a scenario, for example, where I go to pick and pay in the near future and I won't be able to get like millis or pop? Is that a scenario where it's not just about inflation, it's really a shortage of food in most um, supermarket stores? No, it will probably not happen that you walk into a, a shop and the products are not there, especially in terms of the basic foodstuffs, the staple foods. What, what is more likely to happen is that you will not be able to afford to pay for what is on the shelves in the shops. So we, we will first see a food security issue materializing in the price of foodstuffs. Um, and, and lately we have seen those prices going up rapidly, eh? And um, to you, is there a scenario? So, so for, how many, how much food um, is South Africa dependent on that's produced locally? So, for example, how much a bigger deal is it if South Africans, South Africa farmers, are struggling? How, how big a deal is it? Is it for South Africa? You know, it's um, it's it, this is not a simple question because we we are net exporters and. Um, f f farmers farm with a diverse um, menu of, of foodstuffs. Um, some of our farmers farm with stuff which is seldom actually distributed on the local markets. Like in macadamias, I don't think 4% of our macadamia crop um, actually lands up in, 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 in the kitchens of uh, South African households. Whilst the staple foods, maize, wheat, sunflower, um, those are the, the commodities in which you need to ensure that you will always produce what you consume or a little more. Now, we've had a wonderful maize harvest. We have harvested more than 15 million tons and our local consumption is around 10 million tons. So we still have more than enough to export. The, the, the challenge is that to produce it became so expensive that farmers are reluctant to risk planting the marginal fields. Um, they would only plant the best possible fields, the deepest soils. Um, and, and that might bring down the volumes. You can only harvest what you have planted. And farmers for this season, which, which will start probably in another two weeks from now, for, for this season, farmers on the one hand do not have the financing because land bank has gone through the floor and it now only focuses on the development sector. And on the other hand, 
um, for, for farmers just say there is no way I can spend um, the, the, this high numbers per hectare to plant if I'm not sure that the the price on the market end will um, will compensate for that. Mm. And to you, Al, how much does the Ukraine-Russia conflict play into all of this? Oh, this war could not have happened between uh, two more sensitive countries when it comes to global food security. Between the two of them, they are responsible for roughly 29% of all the staple foods in the world which crosses borders. Um, and it, it is the, the basic foodstuffs. It's like sunflower, canola, maize, wheat. Um, to give you an idea, South Africa is by far the most efficient producer of maize on our continent. And as I just said, we have produced just more than 15 million tons this year. Um, compare that to the Ukraine, where the grain harvest is 144 million tons. It's literally 10 times more than what, what we produce. And a large portion of the world is very much reliant on the Ukrainian production. The whole of the Arab-speaking world, you know, Arab-speaking countries are usually not self-sufficient in food production and they need to, to buy a team. And now that the Ukraine's ports are closed and they cannot move they, they grain from there. Um, many of these countries like Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, um, they are rushing around all over the world looking to replace the, the, the shortfall. And hence, they compete um, in markets where they are usually absent. And of course, that is causing uh, um, the, the, the higher food inflation higher prices all over. Tio, how worried are you um, about the long-term future of food supply? Because there are many scientists that speak about climate change, that climate change, the changing of the weather, that's really threatening the supply of food and yeah, the general supply of food. W what is your opinion of climate change and the long-term stability of the supply of food? You know, climate change is a, a sword with two cutting edges. Um, climate change is driven by uh, inter alia, by greenhouse gas emissions and, and a, a number of factors which are not necessarily um, man-made. Um, but on the man-made side, uh, a, a lot of it has to do with a higher carbon content in our atmosphere. Um, but that is not necessarily bad for plants. Plants thrive in a higher carbon content. Um, it is of concern for animals, mammals, and, 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 and for humans. Um, personally, my gut feeling is that farmers will in the next 10 years with access to much better um, tools, much better technology, especially digital technology, which gives you the um, ability to measure much better than ever before. 
that farmers will learn to produce more on less and with less. But that goes for farmers with access to that technologies. And those are your bigger farmers. So the phenomenon, the global phenomenon where big farmers grow bigger and smaller farmers drop out of the industry will probably be enhanced. Um, I'm concerned about the future of smallholders. I'm concerned about the competitiveness of your smaller and medium-sized family-based enterprises. I'm concerned about the role of your smaller producers, those who actually keep the rural areas alive, those on, who form the foundation of small towns in the rural areas. And um, I'm concerned about the centralization of power in our food systems. Um, I'm concerned that we might unintentionally land up in a situation where our food system hinges on a few very big international companies rather than spread over the widest possible um, spectrum of entrepreneurship but, in but, families. But, but you, isn't it, um, doesn't it land in these few companies because they're doing a better job? Um, how, how would you protect the small farm owners? Would you um, advocate for some sort of government intervention that the big guys don't buy them out? You see, it is not necessarily that the efficiencies drive the market in, in, in this instance. Take, for example, the whole um, protein debate in the world where we have never had this much pressure on the relationship between man and animals, farmers and livestock. We've never seen this kind of pressure on animal-based proteins um, in favor of plant-based proteins. And, and the reason for that is not health issues. This is this the United Nations Food System Summit have actually um, underlined last year there are no health issues as the big companies um, try to, to um, convince the world. It is not that much. The climate issues, our footprint on nature or on, on biodiversity or climate, um, it is more probably a, a moral issue that they don't want us to kill animals to eat it. But any, any smallholder farmer in Gabon or Cameroon who owns one cow can make butter. The plant-based alternative to that, for that, you need a very complicated distribution system because you need a big factory, high technology, massive investments. Um, so it is not necessarily driven by the efficiency as much as it is driven by the availability of capital to dominate a food system. Interesting. And um, so what is your solution to this? Um, how would you sustain the smaller communities? I think there are three ways in which this should be done. The first is the transfer of technology. And by transfer, I even mean leapfrogging. You know, um, on our continent in Africa, we have everything that money cannot buy. We have wonderful soils. We have the best climate in the world. Our continent is right in the middle of, of the planet. We 
uh, sunshine and water, everything you need to produce. Um, what, what we lack is infrastructure, access to markets, technology, experience and expertise. That is stuff which you can bring about through investment. If we can get rid of handover production and leapfrog to precision farming on the African continent, we can, um, on the broadest possible basis, in the shortest possible space of time, um, and um, much more efficiently distribute wealth to, to, to families. Um, instead of trying to create jobs in big factories. But the second thing we will need is the political will to do so. You know, farmers in, in Africa always complain that they do not have access to financing, but amongst the 54 countries on this continent, there are only four where we have private property rights on farmland. That's in South Africa, Namibia, and small pockets of Zambia and Botswana. In the rest of Africa, there is no property rights. So there is no security to access financing. And I think the, the third thing we lack is we, we do not really have the political leadership that can drive inclusive economic growth on our continent. It must start off with better governance than what we've had over the last few decades. Theo, um, you mentioned um that we need, uh, that food should not be centralized in a few companies. Is that why SAI has joined the Western Cape Devolution Group, working group? No, no. The reason why we are involved in that working group is actually because of pressure from um, our members and many of them in the development sector. You know, we, we have some of our most successful emerging farmers in the Western Cape. And like our members in Pumalanga, especially in the Gertzebanda municipality, like our members around Kokstad and the former Transkai area, and like some of our members in the Greater Letaba district, these farmers are simply chucked out of their farms when a five-year lease agreement or a 10-year lease agreement expires in favor of well-connected cadres. And we have taken government to court on, on this matter. But these farmers say in the Western Cape, if land reform was not driven by central government, but by our provincial government, this would not have happened to us. This phenomenon of um, Cater deployment on, in land reform is actually something which is, is, is not driven by provincial authorities, but by, by national authorities. The other reason why we have also joined that is we sit with a dire security situation um, when it comes to farm attacks, farm murders, theft of crops, diesel, copper on farms and so forth. Um, and in some provinces, it is worse than in others. And it is actually only lately that this phenomenon has also started to hamper the competitiveness of farmers in the Western Cape. And they feel they should have the right to um, have bit, better say in who is appointed in the police force and in the judiciary. So 
we got involved because of pressure um, from our members and more than anyone else in our development sector. So you have no problem associating yourself with a person, an extremist like Phil Craig, who works for British Intelligence? Well, I don't know him. But the Cape Independence Advocacy Group? I think they were, they were involved in that meeting we've had about Cape Devolution. Um, but, you know, we, we've been in meetings where, um, especially on farm security, where extremists also attended. If we stay away from those meetings, we actually hand the issues over into their hands. We go to these meetings to cover the interest of our members, which are all family farmers, not because we associate with anybody or disassociate with anybody. Hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm just messing around. I, I know Phil uh, personally, and he has been on Worldview a few times. Um, but to you, um, you, you talk about if, if the land reform process was handled at a provincial level, there would be much more success. Is, is that what happened in Germany? I, I believe you mentioned in David Anzara's shows that because it wasn't handled by the national government, land reform was so much more successful in Germany? Uh, what I said to him was that the, the institution dealing with land reform in Germany is an arm's length away from government. Um, it is not like in South Africa, a department of government. Um, it is the, the agency which has managed land reform and is still managing state land um, in, in Germany is called the BVVG. And there is no direct political interference. There's a set of rules and they must abide by those rules. So it is not really possible in Germany to have the phenomenon which we have here, where successful farmers after a few years, after having built up their farms and becoming profitable, they just learn one day that the contracts will not be renewed and that there's someone else and, in, and very often, especially in the Eastern Cape, highly connected people who already has a few other farms um, are given your farm. You can understand what kind of uncertainty this causes. How do you drill a new borehole, lay new pipes, build new water um, facilities for, for your livestock in the Karoo if you do not know that you will keep this farm? How do you spend the millions needed to fence your farm properly if um, you are running a real risk of just losing it. And um, how, so how do you maintain such, how do you create such an initiative in South Africa if we don't have the political will? I mean, it's essentially it boils down to getting rid of the ANC. It seems like all our problems will be solved with a new government if we have a different government than the African National Congress. It does seem so, hey. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I had a very good friend since I was a student um, who unfortunately passed on during COVID, Mohammed Karan. He was the Dean of the Agricultural Faculty at the University of Stellenbosch, but he was also a member of the National Planning Commission. And um, we went to Germany a few times together 
And already in 2017, we got a commitment from the German government to finance such an agency, which would be an arm's length away from government in South Africa. And the German um, proposal was that we set up such an agency in the land bank, um, because the land bank act provides for a subsidiary. Well, those were the days when the land bank was still was still a competitive and and still um, had the, a major share of the agricultural book in South Africa. It's before it went through the floor. Um, so it is quite possible in South Africa to do it through such an agency. I know there's a lot of talk within some of the factions in the ANC to um, set up such an agency again. There's a lot in the agricultural media about the need for an agricultural agency. But if it is not independent of the state, I am very skeptical about its uh, potential to solve the, the, the problem of corruption and nepotism in land reform. Yeah, that we, we lack the political will. It's so sad. But um, to you, um, if, if we can move this conversation to a, a lot of people are saying there's the potential of an Arab spring in South Africa. I think you have been um, somewhat close to the real Arab Spring. You, I, I think you were almost on the ground uh, to a certain extent when it happened in the north of Africa. Can you tell us a bit what, is, what was the Arab Spring? What, why did it occur? And if, is it possible that it will happen in South Africa? You know, um, in 2012, um, the, the late Muammar Gaddafi invited me and, and Charles Sinekal and some other uh, farmers and South African farmers uh, to Libya. And he really treated us like kings. He showed us all the agricultural areas in his country. He showed us the investment they've made in water through his artificial river. And also said to us that the biggest threat to stability in North Africa is probably food security. He said, a few cents escalation on the price of bread can cause a revolution, which is exactly what happened later that year. Hey, um, it was literally a few cents. Um, we, we have seen something similar in 2008 in Maputo, when the price of bread went up with a few cents. It was just the last straw breaking the camel's back. Now, nothing stops the hungry man. We have seen, especially um, in the, 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 the beginning of COVID, that people start moving around when there is no food in their area. And they will go to where they think there is food. And no fence, no bar, no door, no international boundary, and no sea will stop them. Um, we, we do fear that food inflation can cause massive disruptions to our economy and to, to social stability. We don't think that um, the, the national strategy, a national plan in South Africa really covers for that. This is why during COVID, a number of agricultural organizations and also my own organization, SAI, started to reach out to farmers to ask them to distribute their second and third grade uh, fruit, vegetables, 
and grains to distribute it into deep rural areas where the dragon of hunger knocks on the doors of, of family homes. Um, but it is also not necessary really to, to wait for it to happen. We can in South Africa create a system where we can make sure that at least the dragon of hunger is kept from the doors. Um, and, and I think I would have shown that it is possible. It's just not possible if you leave it in the hands of government. You need, you need a, 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 a public-private partnership to do it. And if for nothing else, the need for this public-private partnership is so that it can be distributed efficiently and corruption-free. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't American intelligence like the CIA also involved in the Arab Spring? That's one of the reasons why it started. I mean, if, if you fund those opposition groups with the rising cost of um, food, that leads to a revolution. And that's really why we haven't really seen something in South Africa, because the international um, organizations don't really care about South Africa, so they don't fund any opposition to the ANC government. Yeah, there's a lot of accusations, not only about the, the, the USA, but um, other forces too, hey. But you do not need to convince somebody that he is hungry. It is just that an environment in which hunger and poverty prevails makes is, is so much more fertile for the seeds of a revolution. Mm. You, uh, uh, did you work with um, Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman and the Gift of the Givers? when you distributed that food or encourage people to distribute that food? Um, not, not that often in the food distribution. We did work with him in food distribution too, but much more in the distribution of animal feed um, during that time, because we've seen the biggest drought um, ever since we started to record um, in the Karoo, uh, Northern Cape, Western Cape, Eastern Cape and Klein Karoo. Um, also during COVID and, and in the year after. Um, and Gift of the Givers really uh, forcefully stepped into the open spaces and assist us, um, sometimes with logistics, sometimes with drilling boreholes, sometimes with access to more fodder to make sure that we keep farmers on their farms and we keep workers in their jobs. You, is there anything you want to tell us about SAI and the future goals of SAI? Yeah, SAI is a network for family farmers. We take care of the interests of the small and medium scale farmer um, because we, we have a very strong focus on a rural alternative to urbanization. You know, we, we sit in South Africa with a third generation in some cases where um, families no longer have an uncle or a grandpa who, who came from a farm. And the experience of food stops in front of a shelf in a shop. But the world behind that shelf is completely unknown to them. Um, so their expectations of how food should be produced and should reach them is very often not realistic. Um, we, we work very hard to keep small towns afloat. And the only way to do that is, is actually to strengthen a local primary school, a local 
cooperative or agricultural input provider and the place of worship, if one of those falls over, the, the, the whole town will topple over and farmers will need to go to a, a second bigger town. So we are working hard to create a viable alternative in rural areas uh, for, for urbanization. To do that, we need to focus on young people. We need to recruit the brightest young minds to choose agriculture as a career and to convince them that it's worthwhile to raise a family in the rural areas. And um, th that's why we are working so hard to shorten the space and close the gaps between consumers and producers, to introduce consumers to the man and the woman behind the lamb chop they have um, on their braai on a Saturday afternoon. And um, helping the local communities with sustainability, do you work with AfriForum? We, we are not an organization inside, we are a network. So we operate in partnerships. We have some 27 of these partners, of which AfriForum is also one. We work very close with, uh, uh, with AfriForum on safety and security because they have these two 24-hour emergency centers and they have these 168 um, local farm watches operating all over the country. But also, we are in a partnership with them in developing communal farmers. Those are our projects in the former Transkai with the Mambanza communities, uh, in the Eastern Free State with the Borolong-Boseleka community, in KZN with the Zulu Royal House, and in Limpopo with a number of CPAs who are beneficiaries of, of the restitution program. Thieu, um, I, I think you just have a mute. I'm not on mute. That's it. You, you can, that's it. Excuse me. You've already said what you Our focus in our projects with AfriForum in, in these communal areas is simply to create a new class of profitable black farmers. Because the farm is a business. And if it's not profitable, it's a welfare case. We have way too many of those. We need to ensure that the smallest farmers have the opportunity to become profitable. And if we can um, succeed in doing it with the smallest farmers, we also cover the interest of everyone bigger than them. Atiyah, how serious is the problem of farm murders in South Africa? Much more serious than what um, the world realizes. Over the last 25 years, we had on average a farm attack every second day and a farm murder every fifth day. It is foremost in the mind of every farmer in South Africa because it can happen anywhere, anytime. And the policy environment is such that farmers need to take care of themselves. We, we dare not hope that the police, the defense force, or any other of the security apparatus in South Africa will step in and take care of us. We need to organize ourselves better and more in, um, with more innovation to make sure that families on farms are safe. And how would you do that? How would you, um, via innovation, make sure people are more safe? 
in Surrey, we spent um, most of our budgets in trying to organize farmers on a local level into farm watches. We set up um, technology, cameras, sensors uh, in, in areas which are vulnerable. We have one of our partnerships with um, Wiesnolf and Dulci restaurants of Kubis Visa, who just gave us a check for, because for every cappuccino you drink in Wiesnolf, for every breakfast you have in Dulci, um, part of what you pay for it comes into a pool for Sai to uh, assist farmers with safety and security. And the check he has just given us will pay for a camera system and a monitoring capacity around Langsburg in the Moernaas Karua. Um, but ultimately, your safety stops with you. Um, so, so we also sensitize farmers to make sure that the farms are as close to um, attack proof as, as can be. So any political connection um, with the ANC and farm murders? Well, I cannot say that the farmer that the ANC is inciting these murders as we have seen with the EFF. The ANC has, as a party stop calling for farm murders. They, they, they no longer see kill a farmer, kill a boer. But then they have created this environment in which farm murders are thriving. They deny the existence of farm murders, like in the 2018 United Nations General Assembly, when uh, President Ramaphosa said that there's no such a thing as farm murders in South Africa. And I was there. I heard him saying it. And I dare to say that I think I had more interviews immediately after that in New York than he had. Um, he should have done much more to at least show goodwill from government side by ensuring the implementation of our national rural safety strategy, by creating a special unit in the police um, to, to take care of our murders a response unit by um, making sure that we have a cluster of operations between the defense force, the police, the intelligence services, um, and also by acting against those who call for farm murders, because farm murders are not a mere extension of a runaway murder st statistics in, in, in South Africa. Farm murders are different. There might be even more for, uh, murders in the Cape Flats, uh, in gang wars, but no one calls for it. Like the EFF is calling, kill a farmer, kill a boer. And it does not, it's not accompanied by the brutality of torture and um, maiming people in, in, in the process. And afterwards, you do not have this applause for it, like you have with farm murders on Twitter and Facebook with no consequences at all. That puts farm murders in a different category. And of course, government is first to, to take responsibility for a policy environment which is conducive to this. Theo, when President Ramaphosa says there are no farm murders in South Africa, do you think he's lying or do you think he's misinformed? I think both. 
he must know about it because he must sometimes read newspapers. He must know about it because of all the opportunities we grab to bring it under his attention. But I don't think that he realizes the extent of it and what a crisis it is. Um, I've been inviting him and also the Minister of Police to join us to a farm murder scene. We want them to see what it looks like. We want them to speak to the families and to the workers on that farm. We want to make it part of their experience because it's not. It is as if they live on a different planet. So you think it's sort of a white lie. He doesn't take it seriously. Say for the, for the international community is willing to lie about it because he just wants to um, put it under the, the mattress. You see, when he said it in that interview um, in New York um, during the General Assembly, he was talking about South Africa as an investment destination. And he was urging some of the big companies to bring more money into South Africa and the region. And the next moment, there was this question about farm murders. Um, and it was so, um, it came as such a surprise in this ethos which he tried to, to paint about South Africa being uh, uh, um, full of potential that his first response was, no, there's no such a thing. Um, fortunately, the same journalist who asked it, I, I, I also had an interview with him and I could give him real life statistics and I could quote murder scenes, which we have visited shortly before that. Um, and we could also show them that the, the number of farm attacks and farm murders per year is relatively constant. It, it has not changed much over the last 12, 13 years and bringing about this average of an attack every second day and a murder every fifth day. Yeah, interesting times. Teal, um, I see our time is running out. I really want to thank you for this discussion. Is there anything you want to leave our viewers with before I conclude? Yes, agriculture in South Africa is not only about a poor, food, uh, a poor, poor safety situation and the threat of expropriation without compensation, which we have not touched on. Um, and, and, and we should discuss that in, in future. It is also about being competitive. It is also about the fact that we still uh, manage to outclass some of the best other farmers in the world when it comes to preference by consumers elsewhere in the world. It is more and more about managing animal disease. And it is more and more about maintaining good soil health. Those are the issues which farmers elsewhere in the world grapple with. And whilst we are fighting the dragons of expropriation and farm murders, we must also take care of these more agricultural orientated issues, such as inputs, technology, water quality, soil, and um, animal welfare, um, we, which makes agriculture really an exciting uh, um, proposition. If I, I, I wish I was a teenager or a student, I wish I could now enter into 
this wonderful world of food production. Because if COVID has done nothing else, it has shown to us that we can actually live without most of the stuff we thought was important, but we cannot live without food and fiber. Mm. So you're optimistic? Yes, things will change. We, we will have a better policy environment in future. Um, and South Africa will retain its competitiveness with or without the assistance of government. Well, thank you so much to you. This has been an awesome interview. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah. It was a great pleasure. So that was Tiude Jager on a Monday with me having a bit of the Monday blues. Thank you so much if you've made it this far. And thank you once again to you for joining this discussion. If you liked it, please like this video, share it as widely as possible and subscribe to our channel. My name is Donald. You've been watching Worldview.